he looks like he steals catalytic converters. do this thing it's a podcast oh yeah we talk it? about music on this we, thing we, too. we do talk about pie although I, I my friend sarah loves to bring up the one episode we did where we just spent about 75 percent of it talking about baseball movies yeah like there have been a few times recently we've been hanging out with different groups of people and they ask me about the podcast i'm like oh yeah it's about it's about sports where she's like yeah except for the one where you guys just talked about baseball movies yeah. for 75 percent of it so there's a good chance every episode might just not be about well, music that, we were pumped from the field of dreams game, we were I real think. pumped from the yeah. field of dreams game i can tell you that we've got a beefer ahead of us plenty of music stuff to talk about right. so let's do it Gearbuds podcast episode 126 i'm henry that's dave hey we've got a studio audience today his name's cappy he's chuckling over probably stoned in the corner over there we just ate a bunch of filipino breakfast i'm feeling really he's got really some video loaded. games going it looks got like. some video games going in the background this is the vibe that we're going for so let's just do it here's a symphony of corrections here is your weekly reminder that cables are tone tubes thank you listener for listening to this right now I want to specifically thank a listener because that's one of my favorite things to do. Got to have a little catch-up chat this week with my friend and yours, Mike Horick. Uh, For those who don't know, he is just a truly wonderful drummer. You know, I hate to get into superlatives. He might be the best drummer I've ever played with. Uh, I've been lucky to play with a lot of really great drummers, but he's a monster. Caught up what what was supposed to be just a couple-minute phone call about asking me about my interfaces that I have. Wound up turning to literally two-hour phone call (laughs) about everything, uh, including, so I brought up the fact, uh, I asked him if he had seen recent Dave's doc which you haven't, if you haven't listened to that episode, go back and check it out, about Count Me In, the mm, yes, drummer documentary on Netflix. He said that he hadn't seen it yet, oh. but a number of people have recommended it to him. But Mike was also an L.A. drummer for a while, so I was like, dude, how about that drum doctor guy? And he's like, oh, my God, for real. He's like, he really is that. Like, how they made him seem to be the... Like, he's met that guy or whatever? He has, and he's rented kits from him and yeah. everything. He told me, I'm glad I'm thinking about this, I didn't write it in the notes, you can still, because like... He like so many major records. He like brings the drums in and tunes them and sure. sets them up and everything. They can, like hire him like tech basically. Exactly, but they all they also he also brings his own drums mm-hmm. and the drums that they used to record the Black Album by Metallica were the Drum Doctors, and you can still rent the Black oh, Album cool. kit right now no if you shit. want to. If you want to get that Lars If you want to get that <laughs> But it sent us down a, a long rabbit hole about how I was actually talking about how it's weird. Like, I, I know I'm really old now because rewatching some kind of monster, I actually liked Lars this re- recent yeah. time. And, yeah. and and so we were talking about sort of like overhated or overrated drummers, and he, <clears throat> and, and I... He's got to be up there. Well, when when I when, when I brought that up, he's like, dude, there's only one guy. He's like, that is the most underrated drummer of all time. And I was like, well, who is that? And he said, Larry Mullen Jr. from U2. Oh, wow. He's a big Larry Mullen guy up to, you know, like whatever 1994's pop album sure. or whatever. Nothing since then. But like War was one of the first records I ever had. Really? I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. My, my brother bought it for me. For I Christmas. mean, look, I'm not a I'm not a big U2 guy, but I'll still fucking get down with Joshua Tree and mm-hmm. Octung Baby any day of the week. Yeah. So I, look, whether or not you like you too, those dudes could just write some hits back in the day. Yeah, I mean they weren't a band for this long for no reason. I mean, Correct. Obviously, they're doing something right. But you listen to Larry Mullen, and you just he dude was a machine. Apparently, that people call him the Iceman. Was not aware. Did of not that. know that. Uh, just like I don't want to say robotic, but there's just something so reliable and foundational, foundational with him and Adam Clayton, bass player, which I almost forgot that name. Uh, remember the one time I was I told an adam clayton story uh and i mistake mistakenly thought he was in it was when we used to hate on uh sting and the police every oh, yeah. week and i was like and i told this big adam clayton story for fuck the police and you're like dude you know he's in you too right <laughs> <laughs> who would he have been in the police I, exactly yeah, that's I, funny. he wasn't sting and they kind of look a little similar was, you know drugs are a hell of a drug so <laughs> uh just wanted to give a shout out to to that and also just in general catching up with old band members yeah anybody listening to this just like give one of your old band members Members a call. You're going to have some good things to talk about Do unless it. you hate each other because yeah. that'll happen too. <laughs> uh, a couple, a couple things to touch on here in the symphony. Uh, let's see. Right, Reverb has a couple things that I noticed uh, launch this week and last week, which. Uh, gives me a little bit of pause. I mean, I know that they have been purchased by the Etsy corporate overlords. Things were going to change eventually. So yep. a couple of things I noticed. They now have specific local pages. There is a Reverb Local Chicago page. Interesting. So typically you can, you know, select a zip code and then a, a, a radi- radius from said zip code to 
you know, which I still don't really understand why they do that because like I, the fifty mile radius, right? Or, or yeah. even five, but because it, yep. it's like then you can just message the person and then trade with them or buy it off of Reverb and then not pay reverb any money well also if you sell privately aren't they like why did you end this listing did you sell this because exactly. they still want a cut of it and it's they, like, hey. like or oh did you make did you make the sale give us a 7.5 percent. i have a hard time believing anyone do you think they could look back through your that. messages and like just like cancel your account maybe but i you know there are probably some t's and c's involved there but yeah. i i mean look i'll be honest i have done that before yeah, of course i have too but it, all you well the only the way that i've the way that I've done it and gotten around it, which, uh, you know, maybe I'm showing my cards too much is I just say, Oh, I feel like maybe we should have a conversation about this, right? Not let's fuck reverb and yeah. not sell our thing on or there. start like talking numbers. In exactly. The it's just yeah. like, Oh, I feel like it would be easier for us to have this discussion over yes. the phone. Here's my phone number. Yeah. And course. that's what I've done. Yeah. And you know, it doesn't, it doesn't always turn into a sale, but it has, I'll be honest. So there's that. And, but then today, just this morning, I noticed that they have added a new feature called my collection. And this is something that we've talked about before with other with other sites where you can basically both with things that you have purchased on reverb basically click a button to say add to my collection and then you can build out your own like virtual gear collection on your account on reverb even if it's not for sale even if it's not for sale so basically if it's something that you didn't purchase from Reverb, you can manually enter it in there okay. and then it'll like TC Electronic d- Looper. Upload photos even if you Lupa. Want and, stuff. and then, yeah, you can upload fo- your own photos. You can add notes in That's there. That's kind of cool because somebody could be looking for a specific buyer for something. But that doesn't mean it's for sale though. Right. No, I, but I mean like say you like uh, vintage drum sets, you know, yeah. and I have one for sale and I find out sure. that you collect those. Well, and it makes it a lot easier if once you do decide to sell something or if you do decide to sell something, you've already got it in your collection. You just hit boom, click the button, okay. it becomes, goes and it'll to sale on your shop. Cool. It is a technique for them to get more users but also to make it easier for you to sell things on their site yeah i still go back to the thing that we talked about before and actually it was in when i wrote that reverb <laughs> now that i think about it now that i wrote that article for reverb <laughs> about cataloging your gear collection right. one of the sort of downfalls that i saw was how easy it would be for someone to see what kind of collection you have like advertised on the internet and then just rob the piss out of you Yes. So that I still am apprehensive about listing every single thing that I have, yeah. whether or not it's for sale, because if you figure out where I live and or where your studio or wherever it is, like you can just fucking go get robbed for it. So there you go. I don't know. We'll see. I my, the one thing I didn't see on there, which I think would make a lot of sense for them, is if they partnered with an insurance company. Like you know, there are a number of specific gear insurance f- firms out there where you can just like, here is my entire collection now, just like. Tell me, give me a quote for yeah. how much it would be to insure that. Yeah, I mean, I've insured my, I've renter's insurance for that yeah, very reason exactly. because I have some expensive guitars. So, 100%. and I recommend for people who don't, uh, you should definitely consider it. You should definitely consider it. it can the, the it's one, not expensive. It's like fifteen dollars a month or something. Well, when I, it was a lot more expensive. You for have me. a lot more shit than. But I the other thing is that you have to go through and itemize and serialize everything, and that's difficult. Like if you haven't, if you don't already have your stuff cataloged, like. Going and figuring out the serial number for every single thing you have is a pain in the butthole. And photos. And, so yeah. the nice thing then, if you've already done that all with your Reverb My Collection, partner yeah. with some renter's insurance and bada boom, bada bingos, Damn. you've got yourself some insurance. So take my advice, Reverb. Do that. Here we go. Keeping the news rolling. Winter Nam 2022 has been delayed. Uh, so we're, I wanted to talk about this last week, but we forgot the annual event, which didn't go forward as an in-person gathering in 2021 due to the whole COVID bull snarkies will now take place between June 3rd and 5th instead of January 20th and 23rd, as it had been previously announced, which means that there will be no summer NAM this year. Now winter NAM, summer NAM, R1, June 3rd through 5th in Anaheim. They're not doing the Nashville deal, which is for a couple of reasons. One, just cause it's still like, uh, especially for international folks that where the vaccine hasn't been rolled out as much. It's a lot more challenging to get them into the U S exactly. And that's half the fun is, is all the international sellers. Oh dude, at least that whole basement level with all the fucking crazy Asian stuff going on down there. It's wild. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, so that, but then also, uh, it's because, and this goes back to what we talked about last week, partially, which is the whole chip shortage, all that stuff going on. Uh, there just are there have been less new products. I was going to say out. there's not as much. So it's giving manufacturers time to develop new things, which they will announce slash release at NAM. So, kind of a bummer uh, because you know I like going to California in the winter, but you know whatever, we'll just go in fucking June instead. Uh, here we go. I've got a BFI for us, and this one comes back to everyone's least favorite metalhead these days. That's Dave Mustaine. <laughs> uh, we liked talking shit about his new guitar. He that almost hits his recently. own like section on this podcast, dude. Now. Seriously, and he just recently at a show in New Jersey went on this big old anti-mask tirade Did on he? stage. 
So um, at a recent show in New Jersey, where, by the way, over 20,000, 27,000 people have died of COVID. Um, I should add Dave Mustaine noted birther. So he was an Obama birther. Uh, he named one of his recent records after an Alex Jones conspiracy <laughs> theory documentary at this show told people to go home and look up tyranny, which is my favorite thing to tell, go do some research, right? Go do some Googling, which, so I did. And, and it turns out the definition of tyranny is cruel and oppressive government rule. But he's saying that having to wear masks is tyranny. Um, so you know what, man, like just like people are fucking dying. Why? By the way, masks were not mandated at the show where he was talking about. So he's like, Riling up this Preaching fake to the choir. anger yeah. for over nothing. I guess. Where was the show? At? This was in New Jersey, uh, so there there were no indoor mask mandates at this show. And but he was still just like railing against it and calling it tyrannical government bullshit. When it's just like, dude, that first of all, uh, if there was a mask mandate at that show, no one makes anyone go to it. A tyranny would be someone makes you go to the and do this thing and then also do something else like wear a mask. It's not. It, no one is forcing anyone to go to a fucking Megadeth yeah. show right now. Second. I, which I'd like to add, I went to my first indoor concert this week. And guess what? It was manda- a mandatory vaccination. You had to prove your pr- vaccination card and you had to wear a mask inside. And I'll tell you what, it wasn't that fucking big of a deal, man. After three songs where I was like kind of freaked out. Oh my God, I'm indoors at a concert, whatever. It was fucking fine. And then I'll also add that I wound up getting in the mosh pit and I was sore for several days afterwards. It's mosh pit. Because I'm fucking old. Dude. Who'd you see? I went and saw Black Midi, who is, in my opinion probably the coolest new band around. They are these just like almost children from the UK and they fucking rip. And that was at uh it was sold out sleeping village sleeping show village, here in yeah. Chicago. It was a post pitchfork show. They, gotcha. they had played pitchfork that weekend. They, I'd listened to them. I, I'd really like their first record. It's kind of this weird, uh, glitchy, mathy rock thing. But then this new record, which I hadn't listened to until I got tickets for the show is definitely a lot more sort of, I don't know, chill and weird and artsy, but then seeing it live, it's yeah. These dudes love King Crimson. Okay, they're like so they're technical. fucking technical prog, but still making like kind of like pretty it's digestible. Yeah, and yeah. they have it was a five piece guitar, bass, drums, sax, and keys, and it was fucking incredible. Sweet dude, dude. it was so good. That's so cool. And again, I had a fucking mask on. It wasn't that big of a deal. I will add, this is the, I haven't actually gone to like a a gym or a workout class or anything where you have to like wear a mask while working out. It was a little, I, I was gassed and yeah. that could just be that I'm, I'm old, but I like jumping around and moshing a bit with a mask on was definitely, I was, I was huffing and puffing. Yeah. Uh, could be a number of reasons, but you know, I didn't feel like I was in a, tier. you were out of your show shape too, man, Think dude, way it. out of show shape. And I, I did at no point did I feel like I was participating in a tyranny. So okay. this is where I'm going to tell Dave Mustaine to go fuck himself. Uh, also just, the dude had fucking throat cancer. Science saved his life already. Yeah. So like now to rail against it just doesn't make any yeah, sense. Yeah, he seems like he would be susceptible to getting sick. I mean, super susceptible, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Uh, this is well, this is what could have been a, a BFI, but I think turns into a GFI. Oh, I like those. And, and this is one yeah, that Christmas you sh- you shared with me, Dave. Did I? And I'm going to share a, a news story that came out of Seattle recently at a at a heavy metal concert. Yeah, that's wild. So. Uh, recently, this was, was like it Seattle. I thought it was it, Idaho. It was in oh, you're, it, there was a Seattle band playing in Boise. That's now what I think was. about. Yep, Good yep, call. Yep. So uh, this a band was playing in Boise at a, sh- a club called the Shredder, I believe. Uh, Seattle-based heavy metal band Greyhawk. And so the story is that um, this guy named Darren Wall, who I think was the bass player yep. in the band, was um, outside of the venue with maybe some other bands or some other bandmates. The shows or was was over basically. Yeah, they were kind of hanging out. They're kind of hanging out and. They noticed this guy named Darren or uh, Darren Wall is a bass player. They noticed this guy named Ethan Bird and, and uh, at the the Shredder, which is a south of downtown Boise venue. Early oh, it was early Sunday morning after the show was o- over. According to Wall, who was the bassist for the band, Bird pointed at the crowd and pretended to shoot people with finger guns. Yeah. So quote, it's a disturbing motion to make into a crowd. Oh yeah. I don't know if anyone else saw it. Saw it. Wall said, "I got a weird feeling right away." Sometimes you confront really wasted people or really drunk. They're really angry and they're shouting and they're belligerent. This guy was really cold. Wall told KTVB, which is a local news station, that he and a member from the other band were keeping Bird outside the venue. At that point, Bird walked back to his car and returned with a gun, according to Wall. Quote, I saw him reach behind his back and grab the gun. That's when I moved in. No other options really went through my head. Yeah. So dude just played a fucking rock show. See, has the the presence of mind to see this like fucked up looking guy, not drunk, just like crazy ready to kill yeah. guy, 
and, and decided to take action. So according to the press release from the Boise police, here we go. Wall kicked Bird on the inside of his leg, and the two began to wrestle with each other. He said, the gun was in the pocket of his pants, and he shot went me off. through his pants, yeah. got me in the upper thigh. He fell to the ground as Bird ran away from the scene. Then the police responded quickly. So, And I think they said they found two guns. I think they said they found a twenty-two and a 9mm. So uh, Boise police arrested him within a few minutes. Uh, they found uh, a twenty-two caliber handgun and a 9mm handgun with a drum magazine containing 29 rounds. Jesus. Plus two additional loaded magazines that they found on so the So he suspect. was ready to roll. Dude, dude was ready to fucking That's crazy, commit a, a mass atrocity. So Ugh. I'm surprised this didn't make bigger news. I can't believe, dude. So I, I was, had heard nothing about this until you sent me. The I link. was scrolling through like Talkbase because they sent me the emails, yeah. and I clicked on one thing that was like some like band drama. Like sometimes I like to read those band drama things where the oh, guys yeah. venting and stuff. And below that was like suggested articles, and it was that article, and it was from like six days ago. And I was like, how did this not pop up? Like I have even no on idea. the news, it happened in August, and then so yeah. the dude was arrested, held on. I think it was uh, they wanted to get it on a million dollars bail, but it was five hundred thousand, which was enough to keep him arrested. Yeah. Here's the thing: the next court date was set for September fifteenth, which is a couple days ago. Maybe that's why it popped back up in the news. I tried, dude. I tried looking it up, and I cannot find wow. anything about it in the news. So maybe it got delayed. The court case got delayed. Oh, the guy's or a hero, man. He did a fucking hero. He saved a bunch of people's Plus, lives, also, and he got shot in the process. The inside leg kick is a really interesting. He must have had a little bit of training or something, because like to throw a leg kick in a you know, and that's not. Well, a common. I think the guy was reaching and like he was reaching into his car, so it was like the part of his body that was available to be struck. You oh, okay. know what I so mean? this happened in the parking lot? This happened in the parking oh, lot. Oh, I, I thought he came back in. Okay. He, he, he saw oh. him going back to his car and then... So like, he had the like, twenty two in his pocket. The, the rest of the guns were probably in his in car. The, a nine millimeter was in his car. He went back to yeah. go get it. That's dude crazy. saw it going on, like followed him back over That's there wild, and then dude. fucking kick, yeah, kicked him. And then, but still, I mean, they wrestled enough Tight that fucking move, he dude. got fucking shot. Yeah, doing it, and it yeah. could have—he could have been killed. You yeah. know, yeah. they said the recovery going is going well. He's—he's he's, you know, yeah, it fucking hero, sucks, man. but you know, he's—he's he's alive and saved a bunch of lives. So well. about as again. Bad fucking idea, but about as good of a fucking idea good as we've probably ever had on this yeah. show. Shout out to that guy, man. That dude saved a bunch of lives. Yeah. So uh, I really hope that this guy gets fucking thrown in jail and locked away because he, um, he was going to fuck some people up. And uh, that sh- sh- that's a symphony for this week. Is that it? That's all we got for the symphony. So at this point is when I get to now say my two favorite words that I say every two weeks or every week. What am I talking about every two weeks? Every week <laughs> as Dave gets his notes ready and I delay and think about what I'm going to sing here, which is Dave's Ducks. Yeah. That's not bad. That was okay. That would sound good with some auto-tune. Well, maybe I'll like. think about it. Um, what do you got for us? Dude, so this one's a little bit more for you. And it's funny you mentioned every two weeks. For I'm, me? I'm like, well, I'm like running out of fucking docs again. Like, because we, we were on that, I think it was like in August when I was watching like new docs every week and I was all pumped, you know? And I've watched them all now. Yeah. Um, so I keep forgetting. I've got a few that I could send I dig you through I the depths. Them. I dig through the depths. But I found a really good one. This is actually really interesting. You know what I like? I like when I, I'm not sure if I'm going to enjoy it or not. What do you like? Because then I start taking notes on the doc. And mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, next thing I know, I've got like four pages of notes about okay. the thing. So it was a really interesting yes. documentary. Uh, and I think it's from a series of shows called Play It Loud. Because this was called Season 1, Episode 1. Yeah. And it's the story of martial amplification. So we're going to talk a little bit we're about the history. About Jim we're going to talk about Jim Marshall Dude. and his uh, his friends who helped him out. Uh, you mean his men, his friend being fucking Leo Fender's uh, amps that he ripped off? Well, yeah. So that's a really interesting thing. Didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, you know the basement. Well, the reason that they they basically dissected a basement and worked from that chassis uh-huh. was because there were no other loud amps at the time. Right. There was Vox, but like Vox kind of did their own thing, and you know. So he worked in this small music store. Yeah, it was a drum shop, man. It was a drum shop. And uh, the the amps that they said were kind of like the main builder at the time was a Charlie Watkins, uh, oh, a Watkins, Watkins. Westminster yeah. West 10 inch amp. And that was, they showed it, dude. It's a little baby blue, little radio looking thing. It's That's cool. Cute. It's cute, but it's probably like five watts or something. Uh-huh. Um, so obviously, you know, it, I thought it was really interesting. Um, a lot of people don't know that he grew, he grew up in the same town as Pete Townsend. Um, uh, my boy from Deep Purple, who we mentioned a couple weeks ago, uh, Richie Blackmore, Blackmore, and uh, Richie Blackmore and Pete Townsend are from the same town as Jim Marshall. Yes. Wow, did not know that. Yeah, and uh, shit, there was one more that I wrote down, but I totally forgot. What's in the fucking water there, man? Dude, I know. And um, so 
when he was testing the sample, so long story short, somebody brought in a basement to his shop. Yeah. They didn't sell guitars, really. He had a couple. And then someone was like, well, you got to get amps. So he's like, all right. Well, then he hired an amp um, repair guy. This is when I take too many notes. His yeah. name was Ken Brand, and he was the uh, the main electrician who actually designed the amp. Okay. Because um, Marshall wasn't really like an, you know, he wasn't really an amp guy. He was no, a, he's drummer. a drum guy. Yeah. So we hired this guy. They took this. He was they a took, skinsman. They took this basement apart because they knew it was loud, but they didn't, you couldn't get like an overdrive from it, right? Uh huh. So the main thing that really changed the sound of what they did initially was they switched the valves out. They went from the 6L6 to the EL34. And that was like the main change. Also because that was just what was available in England yes. at the time. Yes, they couldn't get a hold of the original mm -hmm. Fender Fender valves. So um, I like that you're calling them valves because we're talking about British amps. So yeah. Like, of course, you know, valves I know. Well, tubes. It, it, it was a British documentary. Nice. So like everything was like, I wish I would have had subtitles. It was very hard to understand. You, some of these dude, guys. you love the, Br the Brit movies with subtitles. I do. Well, because I think over time my ears have just become like mush. Like literally like I dude. can't. If we were in a normal room and i didn't have these headphones on i think i'd have a i'll tell you what so quick little aside here i just watched both seasons of sunderland till i die okay which is a british uh, sunderland uh is a british soccer it's a it's a city in england but it's a soccer club a football club who was in the premier league got relegated down into the championship oh, I've heard of that. and yeah. then and then spoiler alert got even relegated down again into the one league which right. or league one which is the third tier like, and so i watched both seasons of that it, it's basically what inspired ted lasso for those who've watched that but it's real you know it's a real documentary series and the fucking accents in that are so thick especially yeah. with like the townsfolk because there's a lot of t you know it's really about kind of like the town as much as the yeah it's the, not like the, the club right and man there are some things where i, I rewound it a couple times and i was like i have no fucking clue what that dude said in fact i would even text pepper a couple times who's a who's a brit to be like what does uh taking the michael mean and just like you know things that like they that i, I could understand and still didn't know what they were talking about yeah absolutely so that's that's it that's yeah no it's it's hard um so i didn't have subtitles for this one because it was like on some youtube video or mm -hmm. something and they didn't have them like queued up or whatever but anyways um i thought this was interesting so pete townsend who was friends with uh jim marshall yeah. and actually you know a younger person at the time uh i think i believe the who had just started but they were probably like you know in their in their very very early years uh he was the first one to test out the amp uh the the original like the uh, uh the jtm 45 mm -hmm. so when it was first built so pete townsend he's like come on in here crank this thing up let's see if this is good Pete said it's not loud enough yet. So they tweaked it. Uh, he said, and this is actually a cool thought. I, I don't really think of amps this way, but he said, I was looking for an amp that distorts through the amp, not through the speaker, mm -hmm. which I thought was kind of interesting. And that really kind of sums up Dude, Marshall and how they... Fuck speaker distortion. I am yeah. not a speaker distortion person. Exactly. So neither was Pete. So he was like, let's crank this thing up. So I guess you could actually attribute the birth of this amp partially to Pete Townsend for, for mm -hmm. saying, like, we got to push it further. Um so uh, they, this is kind of cool. They made the first one. Do you, have you ever seen the first, the number one they call it? I have, yeah. And it's like in a museum now or right. something. Um, it's in a glass case. With the, the offset badge, they call it. Well, it's like a the, the actual graveyard. one doesn't even have the chassis on. It's just, just like the, the, amp, the, the amp. The guts. But then, yeah, the offset thing is beautiful. Yeah, I started I looking that. them up last night on Reverb, and I was like, God damn it. I kind of really love the original Marshall logo. Me today. too, what man. Is it? It is, it's like the... the it's tombstone it, or morgue. It has something to do with like a being dead. It's like oh really? Because like everyone knows that script Marshall logo, yeah. but the original one is just like these block letters, and I really love. Well, they that. were really marketing geniuses because they knew at the time, you know, we we've got to get bands to play these on stage, mm -hmm. and then we've got to make the logo big enough where people in the back can see the logo. And totally. that they've always had that bright. I mean, right away you can see a Marshall and mm -hmm. know it's a Marshall. I mean, to me, when you think of guitar amp, you know, even though they're not my favorite amps, and I, I've never owned one. That's to me. That's what an amp looks like. Yeah, you know. So um, I thought. And that I mean, was cool. shit. Let's be honest. Our fucking Gearbuds logo is just the Marshall logo. <laughs> Shh. Um, <laughs> so this, I thought this was cool. The first day they released this thing, they put it in the window. They did put the chassis on it, like uh -huh. the big offset chassis thing, and then they put it in the window, and then they sold twenty five units the first day. Wow. Because people just they've never heard anything like it. Mm -hmm. It was just like the loudest, you know, most abrasive thing, and oh, everybody man. wanted that tone. They were so used to hearing either a small speaker. Or like just these big pillowy basement tones. The funny know? thing about it too is that people love to talk about oh, there's like the Fender sound, and then there's or like the American sound and the sure. British sound, and it's like it was the same fucking amp with different tubes. Like that was like the way yeah, it started. Pretty much, it was, yeah, it yeah. Was, it was exactly. a fucking it was a basement. And the other difference is that they flipped the chassis upside down. Okay, so like yeah. on, a, on a basement, the tubes the go tubes hang down, down, and then on a Marshall, the tubes they, go up. They stick up, yeah. 
Um, I thought that was fucking cool. So they sold 25 units of these things. The JTM 45 actually stands for Jim and Terry Marshall, mm-hmm. which I didn't know that. I thought that was kind of cool. It's a yeah, song. Marshall has always named their amps in like a really stupid way. Like well, the 1959, like the famous Plexi yeah. was not made in 1959. Well, in the 45 is a 50 watt amp. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's just a the, little The numbers are weird. Um, so anyways, from that point, he decided we've got to become a full-time amp manufacturer. Mm-hmm. Like, fuck the drum shop. Like, this is what we're doing. Cause we, but they were really only selling enough to build enough the next week. So they really weren't you know, making a big profit or anything yet. They weren't able to sit and wait for the ICs to ship in from overseas like we were talking about last week with Tascam and Focus, right? Yep. Going to keep bringing it back to old episodes, Just folks. keep bringing it back. And if you haven't listened, go Gotta back and go check out it. 125. It's going to be great. Uh, Eric Clapton was the other one I couldn't think of. Yeah. Yeah. So him, Blackmore, and Townsend were all from the same. Like, they were oh, basically wow. local guys. So at the time, you know, uh, say what you want about Clapton now, but fucking Cream ruled. Yeah. And when they put... When they put Cream on stage with like two full Marshall stacks, or even Pete with well, like, Jack Bruce played Marshall stacks too, right? Yeah, yeah, and I believe same with so. Whistle and Ant Whistle and uh, uh, Jimi Hendrix and oh, uh, Noel Redding played Marshalls. You know, and those so are, I, those original eight by twelve cabinets. Did they get? Did they touch about on that? At they all? just talked about how like that was basically Pete's idea to like start stacking those yeah. up because he's like it's still not loud enough, and they're like well, maybe you have hearing problems. Like, <laughs> you did blow. You did blow a spe- like a firework went off next to your head. Yeah, it blew up Keith's kick drum. Yeah, the kick drum blew up right next to your ear. Um. Anyways, it was his idea, and then Jim was like, I don't know, man. They're gonna fall over, and he's like, Well, that's the point. Like, yeah. Then they start kicking over their shit. They started talking about the Who a lot, and actually it was a good doc because they interviewed Pete through a lot of it because cool. he just he kind of narrates a lot of it because he was there at the time. How old was this doc? Um, I bet it's like early 2000s or maybe like uh-huh. mid to, you know, 2007 maybe or something like that around there. Cool. Um, I just thought that was fucking cool. They said the Who was spending a thousand pounds worth of equipment a month, which at, in 1962, that's a lot of three, money. That's a lot of fucking money. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, they got into cream. They got into like uh, Hendrix using them, obviously, which I talked about a little bit. They showed Deep Purple playing. Mm-hmm. They had eight full like stacks on stage. So you had keys My going God. through it. You had two guitars oh, right, yeah. and bass. I mean, it was just like maybe four. They only the, Blackmore was the only guitar player, I think. So they he might have been using two double stacks and that bass had right. one. And then they had one for keys. So like they zoom out of the stage and it's just like walls. of. I mean, that's the whole backdrop. Is there the anything cooler than no. walls of Marshalls? No. And they, they talked about that. They're like, this is what when you see that, when you go into a show and you load in, you see that and you're like, you know what you're going to get for a show. Dude, right? in my mind right now, I'm like images of Ingve Malmsteen with his ridiculous wall of Marshalls or like um, I've seen Slayer where they had an upside down cross made out of Marshall stacks. Yep. Like that's just I mean, that's it's I've never I, I used to gig. I used to like play a lot with Marshall half stack. I have never gigged with like uh and there were a couple of times where live i would like use someone else's 412 but sure. just like side by side i've never gigged stacked it up with a stacked up full stack where it's like I, taller than you are i fucking want to man. i know dude it's it's such a cool look i've never done it either i can imagine it just especially back then just destroys i, your I have played them it's we had it set up at cme for yeah. a bit and it and it makes your balls flap against your leg man yeah it's, it's, it's ridiculous. pushing a lot of wind it is um so that- in and out that was cool. There's a funny scene where they show Lemmy. Uh, I'm going to go oh, on a little yeah. bit about this because I, I was actually pretty excited about this doc. Uh, they show Lemmy, and then, of course, they interview him, and he's just like, <laughs> and he doesn't even talk about the Marshall amp. He like literally was like, we were stoned back then. <laughs> he's like, we were on stage. There was a naked woman in all blue paint dancing around. I was staring at her breasts, and that was it. And then they just cut away from him, and I'm like, you didn't even talk about the amps. There were, was you're doing you're basically doing the character from the roadie from Wayne's World too. Yeah, who just like he he insists on telling everyone the same story about the tiger locked yeah. inside the sweet shop. Like, and it, but was, it, it was everyone's like a, okay. It was such a funny part in the doc because like you know they were just like just let it let me say whatever the fuck yeah, he wants. Of course. And so he just said that, and then they just cut away. So like he didn't even talk about using the amp or like turning it up or anything because well, he had he eventually had his own signature. Bass well, exactly. Amp. So I thought they were going to get into that mm-hmm. a little bit. You know, the super bass one hundred. Yeah. I think it was. But it was like it might have been more Two? than hundred watts. Yeah, it, it, was, it was a big. Yeah, boy. it was. It's. I think it's like the loudest bass with amp. like giant oversized cabinets. Yeah, too. with his like badge in the middle oh, and stuff. Man. Such a cool signature model. Anyways, I thought that was pretty funny. Then they just cut away and he just mumbles off into like nothing, you know. Um, of guy. course, Disco killed it. You know, that yeah. was kind of the story there. Um, you know, Disco destroyed the, the use of the giant valve amp. So did, they, did Marshall have like a, a Dark Ages then? Yeah. So, well, it, they were about to. Um, basically, in 1980, they designed the JCM 800. Mm. But that was actually picked up. Iron Maiden picked that up. And then they were like, okay, Iron Maiden's fucking cool. They still like to rock. I don't know the difference really between like the 800, like what they didn't really talk. 
nerd-wise about like what was different well, with the I circuitry. Can tell you, Dave. Yeah. Uh, so the JCM800 is a, essentially a hot-rodded Plexi, which is the the Plexi is what they call a lot of different marshals from the se- six, er, late 60s, early 70s with the Plexi panel on the front, the Plexiglass control panel. And, and a JCM800 is almost the same, except you can mod it to add another gain stage with another tube, mm-hmm. like another preamp tube, and then it gives you more gain in the right. preamp. So there have been a couple different JCM800s. There's like the vertical input model, then there was a master volume model, which people don't like as much. I think that's a bunch of whole blue. I've played a bunch of them, and they all sound fucking sick. I mean, the JCM800, but they don't sound like the the forty five, right? Like you can kind of, but it's it's just it's a it's a it's if you imagine a hot rod, it's mm-hmm. like it's just gainier. It's a little, um, it's a little more immediate. Like it, it the attack sort of bounces off a little okay. more easily. But it, to me, when I think of the sound of like first, just like hard rock, like ACDC. Mm-hmm. It's either a Plexi or JCM800 or like metal. You put a tube screamer in front of a JCM800, right. which scoops out the bottom end because they are known for having too much bottom end yep. and then adding a little bit more gain. So there you and go. that's and that's yeah. the sound. So that was and then they sh- they talked about Iron Maiden for like 10 minutes. And I was like, yeah, that makes sense because yep. um, they were probably one of the biggest at the time. Um, plus, you know, British. So that makes sense. Um, you know, and then uh, that was pretty much it. Oh, of course, no Marshall documentary would uh be complete without having a scene from Spinal Tap in it. Mm. So of course they show the it goes to eleven scene. Dave's favorite movie, and, folks. and my absolute favorite movie, hands down, because um, it's a movie and a doc. That's right. And um, they actually Marshall themselves actually accredit Spinal Tap that to like a somewhat of a resurgence wow. in the early eighties for them selling more amps. Yeah, um, I believe it. I, mean, I don't. I know they did come out with the Nigel Tufnell like goes to eleven signature, didn't they? I don't know, but I sure want to say hope they so. did. Man, and that might have not that. been till later though, because yeah. it was really like more tongue in cheek. Even like ten. How years hasn't later. there been? I mean, I'm glad there isn't like a Spinal Tap two, but I feel like there needs to be some sort of more like official reunion because those guys are all still alive. Oh yeah, I they they did stuff. I mean, if you go on YouTube, you'll find uh, they've done stuff like not too yeah. long ago, like. I think I saw one like they they all played big bottoms with like twenty bass players on stage. That's so good, um, but that might have been like early two thousands yeah. or something like that. But yeah, they they're out there, they're doing the thing. Um, so yeah, man, it was fucking solid. Not as nerdy as maybe you would have liked, yeah. uh, but I thought it was like on a conversational level, it was really good because they did explain stuff. They just didn't get really deep into like circuitry why certain whatever. circuitry works and doesn't. Um, but I, I liked it. Tons of rock footage. Tons of you know probably not uh, authorized music was in the movie. You know, scenes where Jimi Hendrix is playing, like, whatever. Um, So I love that. And the interviews with the guys who, like, lived it was always extra cool. It's not just, like, boring narration through the whole thing. Dude, I got to ask, so how many full stacks do you you give to this I give it 7 out of of 10 knobs that go to 11. Okay, that's even even better. Full stacks would have been good. I was trying to think of something. Well, because I was almost sort of hoping that if you you had a half point, because it would be, like, 7 full stacks and 1 half stack or something like that. Oh, that would have been, oh, that, see, I should have called you. So this is why we do My question for you is, like, now, you don't have a Marshall now, obviously. Have you? Do I? One? I've owned a number of Marshalls. No, I actually, yeah, I do not own a Marshall currently. Now that I think about it, it I've, really, I've got a basement sitting back there. It really made me. Ooh, we should mod it. Which is? It, oh, it is. And that channel. Oh, so that, so that has two channels on it. The first, well, two inputs, two sets of preamps, like all basement have. The second one uh, is unmolested. It's completely original. The first one is modded to be like a JCM eight hundred. Actually, there's a switch so I can do either the JTM forty five or in one position or the base or the JCM eight hundred in the other position, cool. which is why that is my favorite amp that I'll never get rid of. Yeah, it's fucking awesome. It's fucking um, sick. I really want a Marshall now. I don't even have I don't I barely play electric guitar, but like god damn it. That really, if that, if anything, it was a sales pitch for Marshall, and I'm like, my, I'm, I'm on board. I would say the the only time in my life where I've like actively gigged a lot with a half stack was a Marshall half stack right at JCM 2000, and uh, you know Marshall 1960A or no 1960B straight front four by twelve cabinet, and that was back in the day when I literally didn't even use a tuner pedal. I just plugged my guitar straight into the amp, and that yep. was it. I don't think I would do that now because, well, first of all, I need a tuner. Second, I fucking hate snark tuners, so I'm never going to have one of those on my head. Snark tuners on stage is a no bueno. Dude, you know what? I just watched uh, their, uh, Trey Anastasio's new, uh, it's like not an official premier guitar rig rundown, but he did one for like this on the on Fish's YouTube channel. Yeah. And it just showed up in my, you know, recommended algorithm, which is funny because I never watch Fish. Yeah, stuff, I was going to say, I didn't, I used to, following his well, I used to 
love fish and, yeah. and high school and stuff. And I've always kind of been interested in his rigs because he's always had really crazy rigs. Anyways, his tuner is a snark now, and it's like, oh, that's how you know. And he leaves it on the thing. Dad, and he leaves it on his fucking custom made Languedoc guitar. I brought it. I brought a snark. I'm sure I've told this, but I brought a snark to Quenchers once when oh, I played there. God. And yeah, it was so loud in the room just with the crowd, and then the band, like you know, guys testing drums. Yeah. I could not get good it luck tuned. tuning. And I had there was a song where I had to tune like in the middle, and I just like in the middle of the set and I, I was like fuck it I tried it by ear can't rely on vibrations uh, no. when, when the whole fucking room is vibrating. I don't know how people do that like because a lot of people use those on stage silent stages dad stages yeah, I guess I don't I know guess. using your fucking and also uh, like modelers. if you are going to use your snark just take it off in between so, I mean, come on, dude. Like, it looks so dumb up. it looks like a big it. zit up at the top I here. hate it oh, oh I hate so it so much well, good Dave's doc. I'm Thanks, excited man. to talk Marshalls anytime, man. Yeah, and I would I would also add, I think if I was to buy a Marshall, because I of course I went on Reverb and I was looking. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I wanted to ask you too about like some of these like Friedman or some of these like you know boutique Ooh, builder dude, companies. Friedman makes the best sounding Marshall better than Marshall right, right. now. Right, and then and, and then I know there's people who just build one offs as like kit, mm-hmm. you know, kit amps too, which I think is pretty. That's neat. cool. I've always kind of wanted to do that. Uh, it's a, it's a kind of a big investment if you haven't already built. I've built like a little. It's going to cost you the same amp. amount, right? If you buy quality. Not parts. only that, it's also just like, uh, I I don't know. I trust amp builders to build amps. I don't yeah. trust myself to build amps. <laughs> Fair and because there are lethal voltages in there as yeah. well, so yeah. you got to be really careful with that sort of thing. That said, I mean, it seems like it would be really fun to do yeah. and and ultimately rewarding if it works. Which you know, good good luck, I guess. Well, it looks like they they build. Um, Marshall reissued obviously the fifties version mm-hmm. too, uh, which, yeah. is, which I would. They've definitely, reissued everything at this. Yeah, point. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would definitely. I just love the look of them. You know, I think, I think sound. I could get over this if it looks cool to me. I'm like, I'll, I wish I'll I could remember. It's thing. like Grave Digger or Graveyard. They call that specific logo. Yeah, because it, he got. I think it was the stories he got the stamp to make it from like a, a oh, mortuary or really? something like okay. that. Yeah, there's like a, a there's a sto- or yeah, there's a story and I can't That's interesting. I can't remember, but man, cool. fuck yeah. yeah Marshall talk. Here we go, future gear. I've got a couple pieces of gear that I want to talk about and then a couple a couple larger uh story items to get into a little bit. So this one this is this is future gear, but it's also like it's past gear that thought it was future gear and I sent it to you this week and it's just so ridiculous I have to mention it in here. And that is the uh back in November 2005 Fender uh, partnered with Hewlett Packard and made oh, a yeah. Telecaster yeah. with a Hewlett Packard tablet PC built into it. Which, in by the way, 2005 wasn't like the golden era of tablets either. Oh like, lord, they were, no! They were barely out at that point. You, uh, this was the Hewlett Packard TC11000 tablet PC, which is just it rolls right off the tongue. Uh, equipped with 1.25 gigabytes of RAM, an Echo Indigo I/O sound card, and Intel's Centrino wireless technology, the tablet allows the guitarist to play the instrument while listening privately through headphones, record a demo. Email the demo to friends. By the way, this is from the 2005 press release. You know release. that? Did that have Wi-Fi? Email. No. Email the demo <laughs> to friends or tap into online resources while using the guitar PC's webcam. Oh, now, I should wow. add, the tablet built into this guitar is on the back of the guitar. Yes. What the fuck are you going to do when the tablet is facing your body? It's just your belt buckle the whole time. It's just time. scratching the shit out of a glass <laughs> screen with your fucking belt buckle. <laughs> That's great. Have you ever seen buckle rash on a guitar? How do you do that? Can do you, you put a mirror behind you or buckle something? Ra- but, how, but then like hold the bu- the guitar like all yeah. the way up, away You're from like, your hey body. You're like, hey guys, I'm recording this thing. And then you flip it back Dude, over. Dude, I saw this. and it, So I did a little more research. There's very little information online about I've never it. seen this. They were never made commercially. This was okay. this, this was like a partnership thing where they would like, it, it was, was a like promo a proof, or of, proof of concept promo. Yeah. Still, perhaps, and we've we've detailed a lot of dumb design decisions in this show, Dave. It might be the dumbest des- dumbest design guitar I've ever seen. In my yeah, life. yeah, it's got to be up there, man. I the mean, tablet I get what they were faces going for. your body like the screen. Imagine an iPad sense. shoved up against your fucking crotch, right. on the back of your Telecaster. There's also a little speaker back there. Again, who's facing your body? Yeah, it's a terrible design. It's the dumbest shit I've ever seen. Yeah, I. Don't, I when you sent it to me, I was like, how have I never heard about this? Probably because it wasn't commercially It was just, available. yeah, it was nothing. Um, did The one thing I did notice that I don't hate about it, was it a white telly with black binding? Or was that just my eyes deceiving me? I think that was what you were seeing was, it. Was, I think it was a black telly, but then the whole back of the guitar was like a dip, pa- cut out. And gotcha. that, so it was like a plastic plate. It was basically like a pick guard on the back so they could mount gotcha. the fucking tablet. So you could see it. the little bit of the trim around the outside. Because I was like, the back looks kind of cool. Dude, if you want that, you just get yourself a fucking Tele Custom. I know. I know. And I saw one the other day. And it won't have really a fucking excited. tablet in it, bro. Uh, by the way, a tablet that 
It's not like this. They, it wasn't an iPad. You can't snap it out either. No, you can, oh, but can you? but it's it's such a specific size that it would have only ever worked with that right. one particular tablet. Right, right. It's not like an iPad where they're usually around the same size. You could maybe get a little adapter. Right, or a everyone mount. has yeah. one. No, it was the TC eleven thousand Hewlett Packard tablet. So PC. funny to me, man. Like, I mean, whose idea was it to mount it on the back like that? Like it. I guess for like a conversation piece, and you're like, oh, look at the back. Flip this around. Just look never at play it, it ever. It's it was honestly I think it's it's the dumbest shit I've ever seen. <laughs> it's really bad. Was, and and talked, I love fucking computers and we talked about and those funky stuff. Gibsons not long ago where you plug them into the computer and right the, uh, exactly the robots and the Dusk Tiger and the fire yeah the you fuck. know you plug them in with like you know old like, hardware and exactly shit. Yeah, like a, a printer cable yeah <laughs> so there's that and then now this is I, I think on the flip side and I think that this is actually exciting new technology and it comes back to something that we've been talking about a lot and that are that is Boss has really two new pedals this week i don't know yeah. if they're out yet but they've been announced uh, both in the 200 series which is that like sort of double wide new version of boss pedals mm-hmm. the sy 200 and the ir 200 the ir 200 is a comprehensive cabinet sim pedal which is something we've been talking about yep. lately a lot which is really a, a, a fine line to walk on in my opinion like, oh yeah you know it's hard to get a good cabinet sim it's almost impossible, yeah. but these days companies are actually coming coming up to bat with it. And then the SY200 is an expanded take on the Boss SY1 synth pedal, which we've talked about recently, yep. with more synth tones and an expanded control set. So the IR200 featured this is this is this is why I'm I'm interested in it. It features two discrete digital signal processor supporting both mono and stereo impulse responses and up to 32-bit floating point 96 kilohertz resolution files of up to 500 megahertz in length are also supported which this is a big deal if you've ever gotten into the ir world they aren't it requires a first of all it requires a lot of processing power to handle it correctly and uh it's if for anyone who doesn't know ir impulse response it's basically taking a measurement a physical measurement and then translating that into a digital world so that you can use physical hardware in the digital domain and the length of the IR is important because, as you may or may not know, I know you know this, Dave, bass waves are very long. And in order to get proper low-end response, you need to be able to measure a long wave. So they're doing these 500 millisecond IRs in order to get natural bass response, which is, I think, the biggest knock I've seen against any of uh, any of the other IR loaders, any of the other sort of cabinet simulators right. out there is that bass usually just doesn't have the bottom end or the natural feeling like you would want to get out of an amp. Yeah. And I mean, I, I've even noticed that with analog, you know, pedals before yeah, too. Absolutely. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, pre, it's preloaded with 144 boss and 10 Celestian digital cabinet IRs, which is dope because we all like Celestian ca- uh, speakers. These can be joined by up to 128 custom wave IRs of your own. This is cool too. So if, if if you can use it just as an IR cabinet loader, but it also includes eight guitar amp models. So not just the cabinet side, like the preamp front right. end of it, uh, ranging from old school clean tones to modern high gain. There's also three bass amp models covering different gain levels. So this is if you are looking, like we've talked about recently, for something to throw on your pedal board so you can have like the ultimate amp cabinet simulator to go direct right you can do it with the, with this thing it'd now. be real. it's going to be really interesting to hear it and and you know the nice thing about something like that is they'll be able to plug that directly in and you'll be able to hear you know it's not like a pedal demo where somebody mics it and then it's going through all these interfaces and everything it's like that's going to go right in you're going to be able Dude, to hear that's a what great it's, point what it's supposed to sound like. it will when you listen to the demo which i did online like it is exactly what you're going to hear yes, yes. here's the thing that sold me and i sort of touched on it already two irs can be run simultaneously Mm. so a lot of you can get stereo irs where it's one amp done in stereo or one cabinet done in stereo but you can run two irs so you can do a a dual amp rig with this which is a lot for this sort of small pedal um effectively simulating a dual amp rig it also allows for a range of stereo and midi connected setups and can also function as a usb interface directly into your daw so it's got a usb out boom right there uh, for those who want to be silent, headphone jack and an aux input for backing tracks. That's all pretty bog standard these days. So sold on that. SY two hundred. Uh, so I, we've talked about the SY one. If you haven't, if you haven't actually, anybody listening hasn't checked it out before. My favorite demo of it was our buddy and former guest Nathaniel Murphy doing his version of Jump. That's right. That, that's what that he pedal. used on that. Yeah. And uh, so that's it, that's like the small, normal boss size pedal. This is the two hundred series, so it's a little bit bigger. Uh, it comes loaded with one hundred and seventy one bass sounds in twelve categories: lead, pad, string, bell, organ, bass, dual, sweep, noise, 
SFX, which is just like goofy sounds, sequence and arpeggio. And those are the ones that that's fun, man. That's really a lot more excited. Uh, It allows for adjustment of the synthesized and dry signal simultaneously, which we all agree is huge. And and my favorite thing about this series of pedals is that it does all of these synth sounds that we're used to hearing from like, you know, the Roland uh, GK3 where you have the pickup. It does all that just from your guitar signal or bass signal. You don't have to have a separate synth pickup to use this thing. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, of course. So uh, and, and but to be able to, to blend the dry with the synth sound is that's, fucking huge. That's amazing. Uh, and and let's see. It also says um, while the three other knobs it, uh, have their functions displayed on the LCD screen, depending on what the patch is, the IO is basically the same as the previous one we were talking about the ir200 with an effects loop midi usb and expression pedal connectivity here's the best part the ir200 is 399.99 the sy200 is 299.99 that is i thought they were going to be more expensive than that mm-hmm. uh, don't have exact release dates yet but boss usually doesn't announce stuff like long before it's available yeah. so i would imagine it's pretty definitely close. before the holidays for sure oh, definitely yeah. before them holidays which by the way coming right on yeah. up i yeah. can't believe that mm-hmm. while i was at the game with jimmy yesterday sweetwater called him in the stadium because he bought something from there recently yeah. to remind him that holidays are not that far away and it's time to start thinking about guitars for the guitarist in your life. Was it my boy Logan? Because he's the one who called. He stalked me Dude, for like two weeks. I don't know. Weeks. Probably not because they have thousands of fucking yeah, sales so engineers. And is, if you listen to our episode two weeks ago, you'll know that one in six of those sales engineers is assigned specifically to praise and worship category. Yes. That's, that's what they do. Huge industry. So that's the gear that I wanted to talk about in Future Gear. Now, there are two things that I wanted to talk about that are also... They're kind of future gear related, but they're also kind of past gear related. Ooh. But really, what what these two things are are about the way that we listen to things and the way that we make decisions on what is valuable to us and the sounds that we like. And, and sometimes we listen with our eyes, and sometimes we listen with our ears. So these, tell me if you. I'm going to get into two different stories here. Tell me um, how you feel about their connection. So the first one is I'm going to get into is. Our friend, well, not friend, but I wish, kind of wish he was our friend, Josh Homme from Queens of the Stone. Oh, yeah, our personal friend. So Josh Homme isn't known as somebody for giving away, as somebody who gives away too many tone secrets. In fact, he is known for hiding shit. Like yeah. He's, for, throughout their whole career, for better or worse, has, has really obfuscated what he does with his gear. Yeah. Well, uh, very recently, thanks to a clip from Apple TV's documentary series, Watch the Sound with Mark Ronson, this is not just any minor tidbit. There was a big reveal that came out of this, Dave. Did they get like a, a screenshot of his pedal board or something? Oh, way more than that. It's a, it's a, it's a, an interview with him, right? And, and, and in this interview, this is a quote from Josh Homme. He says, "This is the secret weapon." Whoa, this is a PV decade. Okay, a PV decade. For those who doesn't know, don't know, I didn't know it was an '80s PV solid state practice amp with two input channels, normal and saturation, five knobs with a pre and post gain, and just a three band EQ. That's it. Really? Now he again he called this the secret weapon, okay. and it would be it would be easy for us to dismiss this as just like Josh Homme being Josh Homme and sending people trolling people. The, this, yeah. by the way, this interview I watched a clip of it. I haven't watched the whole show takes place in in his studio. So he walks, he's Mark Ronson's interviewing him. Mark Ronson's like, he literally says, he's like, dude, this is like learning like who shot JFK. Like, are you yeah. seriously about to give us a secret weapon? Right, he right. walks over to this, this like little, you know, uh, shelving unit and pulls this amp down, plugs into it. And he said, so again, it'd be easy to dismiss. This as something. However, further research confirms that he's being entirely serious because the, uh, back in 2005 or whenever it was when they made uh, songs for the deaf, the producer of that, Eric Valentine, one of my favorite producers, did this little video and he talks about it. And he says, and he specifically talks about this uh, B, this PV decade being used to record the bass for No One Knows, which Jesus. is like my favorite Probably bass sound. One of my favorite rock bass tones ever. ever. So this is a quote from Eric Valentine. He said it has a really cool little saturation in there. And so it would get cool distortion and you could have it at a really low volume. It ended up being the majority of the bass sound. So it's just, is it have a gain knob? Is that where they get the It's got a pre and a post gain, and you just fucking crank that thing. Wow. Now, in this little video I watched of Josh playing guitar in it, I didn't think it sounded that good, honestly. Yeah. Could uh, have been the cameras or the mics. Or right, something. of course. But there, we now have double proof that that is basically the bass sound on one of my favorite bass sounding records ever. We'll talk about the value of those about to go up. Well, uh, I'll tell you what I did immediately was go and look it. on eBay <laughs> yeah. and reverb and not a single one yeah. on there. Not even like f- having been sold because they're just like shitty 
80s PV amps that you probably you threw find out. Find someone's grandma's basement exactly. or something. And I, you know, I, I think at the time, PV was making so many amps, too. Like, they probably made that for a year or two and then and then moved on to something else, you know? Oh, of course. So yeah. that, And that's, that's the thing. So it's like we would see that and we would judge it and we would listen to it with our eyes and say like, well, that's not going to be cool. Like there's no way, there's no way that that's going to sound good. And it turns out that it's been, it's, I've listened to that record thousands of times and, and love the way that it sounds every single time. I'm trying to think, man, did, was it, did it have like the metal trim or was it like an all black plastic one? It's, it's like that sort of weird eighties where it's got the two, yeah, like those two metal things, things down and it's like maybe like green and like, it's got a little like pastel color going on in there it's not like the later modeling things where they went to just like straight black and white or whatever there yeah. was like there was there was some oh. sort of color to it oh that's cool you know, like the predator or something like really? that yeah no shit um because i was thinking back because I, I remember you know i think i even talked about it last week with my first band i had that pv amp and it exactly had a, it had a push-pull distortion was it the bandit maybe Dude, I, I wish I could know. Yeah. I wish I could just buy one again because I, I think I got it for like twenty dollars at a pawn shop. And like, well, if you find one now, fucking probably buy it sounded and I'll take fucking it. awesome yeah. at the time, and I didn't realize how cool it was. But so much of it is is not writing something off or deciding something's good or bad based on what we think it, our perception of what we think it is. And, yes, and that's that's the next and and final story for today that I want to get into. And this, I read a couple different articles about this. And this has to do with something called myco wood, M-Y-C-O, which is a wood that's treated with these specific types types of fungi. And basically what happened was this company uh, about 10 years ago released, they had been working on it for a while. These scientists had been working on what they call a biotech Stradivarius. For those who don't know, Stradivarius is the most famous violin maker of all time. Uh, it was like the 1700s that these things were made. They worth there. millions of dollars in some. So of them. Yeah. Antonio Stradivari made antique Italian violins during the 17th and 18th centuries. These things can literally fetch millions of dollars at this point when they're for sale, which makes these instruments off limits to anyone that isn't just like the first chair in the New York Philharmonic, right? <laughs> right. So uh, a, com- a consensus among experts is that these instruments deliver superior sounds to violins made any of them made since the Baroque era. And there have been several hypotheses as to why, both scientifically supported and unsupported, that attempt to elucidate the cause of such a superior sound quality. These claims range from a mysterious ingredient to the wood or a secret varnish recipe to the instrument's unique shape and even just the good old-fashioned genius of ancient violin makers. Mm -hmm. However, the most convincing evidence... And again, this isn't convincing me. This is, I've read a number of, there are actual scientific papers that have been done done about this. The most convincing evidence relates to the climate at that time where, quote, the Little Ice Age, which was from 1645 to 715, caused European spruces that form the instrument's top to grow regularly instead of irregularly, giving the instrument a fuller and more consistent sound. Wow. Since the beginning of the 19th century, violins from Stradivari have been compared to instruments made by other violin makers in these so-called blind tests, the most acclaimed uh, done by the BBC in 1974. In the blind test, the world-famous violinists Isaac Stern and Pinchas Zuckerman, together with the English violin de- dealer Charles Bier, were challenged to identify the Chacon Stradivarius made in 1725, which is like the most famous one that they had an example of, a Guarnari del Gesu of 1739, which is um, another maker. And then, Great job with these names, by the I'm, way. I'm working on it. And a volume from 1846. And then a modern instrument made by the English master violin maker Roland Prale. This is from the, the BBC test since 1974. The result was a surprise as none of the experts could correctly identify more than two of the four instruments. Hmm. With two of the jurors, even, and these aren't just some schlubs. These are no, they actual know. experts yeah, doing this. With two of the jurors even confirming or even affirming that the modern instrument was the Stradivarius. Hmm. So again, this is idea of like, how do we decide what is what we decide is good or, or, or how like, do we hear things? Yeah, perception. Our ears are all different too. I mean, right. Yeah. Now on September 1st, 2009, and this is where this scientific study that I read comes in, uh, at the Osnabrücker Baumvogelglatt in Germany, an audience of, of arborists and three acoustic experts took part in another blind test using five violins. One was the $2 million Stradivarius made in 1711. For consistency, the other four violins were made from a single tree of both Norway spruce and sycamore maple, which is what they would have done back then. They had commissioned the violin maker Michael Ronheimer of Baden, Switzerland, to build two untreated and two mica wood. Again, to go back to what I was talking about, these these specific uh, mica wood is the specific wood that's then treated with this fungi in this specific scientific way. 
The British violinist Matthew Trusler played the five instruments before the listeners, who were then asked to identify the Stradivarius. Hmm. 113 participants chose the biotech violin as a, Stradis- as a Stradivarius. Really? Only 39 correctly identified the Stradivarius, and then the two untreated were, uh, were given three and 17 votes each. That's so interesting. So this Michael Wood stuff seems legit Mm -hmm. and so this was in 2009 it turns out that there's been a lot of as you might imagine a ton of controversy about this since then because now all of a sudden you can get supposed you know these new violins that all the experts listen to and say oh that's definitely the Stradivarius that's the old one that people have paid millions and millions of dollars for over the years Time Magazine actually in 2009 called this biotech violin that we're talking about one of the 50 best innovations of the year like time magazine that's pretty awesome though yeah so the other thing that i I thought was interesting is that they also can use this fungal treatment to enhance the aesthetic so like they can make curly maple look even crazier and um so uh this this is this is the part that i think is most important results from a recent business study in shanghai by the fhh fhs saint galen who are out of switzerland recommend a price of thirty thousand dollars for the biotech violin oh which when you think about comparing that to spending millions of dollars on the on the stradivarius it's like I can't personally imagine any reason why a real player at this point would consider anything but that. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And and except for the mojo of you know uh the mojo. The mojo which, factor. Which is bullshit when it when you're when it's a straight listening test played by the same violinist who's a master violin player yeah. playing, you know, of course anytime it's 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 not exactly a direct A B comparison because they might articulate slightly differently or something like that, but when more than three quarters of the people listening right. thought that the thing that they were trying to find was actually the like the old Stradivarius was actually the, the new one treated with this fungus. To me, that's all I need to know. Yeah, um, yeah, man. I mean, it's it, well. So I'm a little mistaken because I always thought like the the Stradivariuses that are in like the millions mm-hmm. are just like in museums. Like I didn't even think no people those are play for those sale, for sure. So that you can actually find. Them I went for to sale, yeah. I, I went to I actually went to in Italy in outside of Florence. I went to a violin museum once cool. and, and got to see some of that stuff but no the like the most of the ones that are out there are played by like i mean yo-yo Maza cellist but like right. the those types of those, people that level have of, those yeah. okay to the point where they you know when they fly with them they get their own first class seat yeah, and all right, that kind right, of shit right. which of course when you're talking about millions but so this is important to me for a few reasons one now you know classical music especially has, is has been this like sort of like old boys club forever now you can get really high like arguably as good quality instruments in the hands of much younger and much less affluent people. Mm-hmm. You know, it, again, it's sort of like the way recording used to, you have to, used to have to go into a studio sure. or whatever and Pay some guy a thousand democratized, yep. like you can get it and, and get really good results on your own. Now, people who are you know, kids, I mean, yeah, twenty thirty thousand $30,000 violin is a lot for a kid, but if you're like a prodigy, well, yeah, I or, mean, you're going to keep it coming, for your entire life you and know. it's, and it's going to continue to develop with your playing. I just seriously am so excited. But then also when you think about climate change, like we right now, it is, we've talked about it a bit, like with Taylor guitars building their own or developing their own ebony forest. Right. Right. Getting real tone woods right now. It's very much not happening. It's not happening. Right. So now that they know how to basically treat certain kinds of maple or sapelli or whatever it is, sycamore with this fungal treatment. Yeah. And then that makes it, for all intents and purposes, good as some old growth Norwegian forest shit that they got, you know, in like the 1600s. Like that's exciting to me because now, now yeah, climate change is real and we still have to keep doing things about it, but also like we can still get good instruments in the meantime. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. And the prices on, you know, those other things won't, you know, I think that's another thing. I don't think the prices are just going to keep skyrocketing on those really rare pieces. Yeah. There's still the matter of supply and demand and like the fact that you just can't make a new Stradivarius, but if you can buy something just as good for ten percent of the price, and and I have to imagine that um, again, unless you're like a first chair or whatever person, like those are completely separate markets. Right. There are people that collect bursts. Those other than our buddy JB and like Kirk Hammett, yeah, the people boys. buying those are rich collectors. They're yes. not players. And and but if you could use some sort of technique to prove to like and no one could tell the difference from a burst to like some new one. Yeah, like a reissue. Yeah. A or a reissue, shop, then then 
all of a sudden players are going to be interested in that. Well, I think that's what we talk about a little bit on here. Like, um, who's the builder for Gibson who does like the, uh, he relics Tom Murphy. Yes. The Murphy lab. And those are like 10, 20 grand sometimes. They're expensive guitars. But when you think about a real 59 burst versus his version, that's about 5% of the cost right there. So, you know, it makes sense. Um, you know, I I don't know what violence costs. So to me, like thirty thousand seems like a lot. But I know like people who were, who were in uh, who played like brass instruments mm-hmm. are really expensive. Like I know Matt Witt's trumpet was like eight grand. Totally, you know, and it's it's not a toy at that. So point. yeah, I've had friends who've who've gone to uh, one of my buddies went to Northwestern for uh, violin performance, and like he had he had I'm it sure wasn't you start a, with something cheap. Right? Well, like even to get into a program like that, they won't take you seriously unless you have right. a, a nice instrument. And right. I remember his was it wasn't a Stradivarius, but it was like something from that time. But it was also it had literally been run over by a truck and then reassembled <laughs> oh, and even cool. that was still like fifty thousand yeah that's right cool, yeah. but it, the thing is is you won't again in a program like that if you showed up with just like a you know a yamaha or whatever no one's going to take you seriously which right there there's probably some merit to that in that like if you have earned your way up in that world you've probably acquired a, a real instrument at that point or a quote-unquote real instrument mm-hmm. but now just and this isn't even that new. Again, this that like last that study happened in two thousand nine, and then right. it was in twenty twenty. They did this like update, like here here's what's happened since then. And yeah, here's why it's still viable. I love it, and I really, really. I mean, of course, this is like gear buds. We're we're talking guitars a lot of time. I really hope that we can start finding applications of that happening to guitars, even well, like that's, acoustic guitars. That's where I wanted to go with this, man. I mean, you know, talking about because um, a lot of people there's obviously pages and pages and pages of debate about like what makes an old guitar good you know people say the old wood is dried out you Mm -hmm. know i've felt it on you know some guitars from the 60s that are just like you literally pick it up and it feels like it's gonna break in half brittle right 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 brittle um to get that you know there's treatments you can do to new guitars you heat them do you cool them do you dry them out in these like you know horrified yeah but i wonder yeah if putting that uh that kind of that the myco stuff myco fungus well here's the thing because and and i think the the main issue with those old guitars and we've talked about this a lot too is that they're not all good right and and part of that is the assembly and construction but part of it is just the piece of wood that they chose sure what this does is is and and why people one of the reasons that they love the Stradivarius is that they they use this certain type of wood where everything was exactly uniform. So there was all the straight grains and it was yep. all this regular growth. So if you can apply that to now, like, you know, wood, we're not in a, we're not in this like same mini ice age like they had at that point. So trees are growing all differently. Mm-hmm. If you can then treat it with this micro wood and then every guitar that comes off the assembly line is good. Well, that's fucking awesome. So the only thing that I guess you would have to kind of consider is the actual construction of the instrument. Because exactly. we could assume that the, that the construction in 1715 or whatever it was, was like as perfect as right. it could be. You know, one guy took months to probably build one instrument. Months, years. Yeah, yeah it was, so. it was a whole, and, the, and you know, you know, he had, he did have, it, it's, it's known that he had apprentices or sure. so apprentices, Apprentices, apprentice, apprentice, uh, but it's still under the watchful eye of the greatest builder of all time. So, yeah. yeah, if Tom Murphy could then, or whoever, Carlos Lopez, any of these fender guys, whoever, master builders, they could have an apprentice and they, and they not only are learning from the best builder, but then they're also using the same perfect quote unquote perfect wood. Yeah. They're only going to get there, there will be no more dogs because dogs still come off the assembly line right. and that would theoretically account for that yeah and i mean there's something to be said about a dog that you pay three hundred dollars for versus a dog you pay eight thousand dollars that's right right. and um, and i'm on that my les paul form and i'll tell you what according (laughs) to those guys most of those eight thousand dollar guitars they're buying are dogs because nobody seems happy i don't get it oh oh the guys on the les paul forums aren't happy i know right yeah Yeah, seriously they're not satisfied they're never fucking satisfied dude dude. that's that's got to be like the toughest one i don't think you can apply fungus to solve that but can you just paint it paint it on with a brush like how does it did they talk about the process you know i i didn't i didn't i didn't didn't like get to learn how they apply the fungus. I would imagine they, you know, did a bunch of different stuff until they found the, the proper treatment. But yeah. I, I, the paper, like I read these two scientific papers and it didn't really, it described the tests and, and what they were measuring, but it didn't exactly describe the methodology of how they applied the fungus to the wood. Honestly, that might be some sort of like protected IP at this point that they, yeah. because it's their, their techniques or oh, whatever. Oh, absolutely, man. Absolutely. I would. Yeah. I mean, I would. I would at least make sure, like you know, legally it's protected, so uh, they can't steal that idea. So, do you think that w- it was was it much of a leap that I tried to connect Josh Homme with Stradivarius? Uh, no, to, about listening with our eyes versus listening with our ears. No, I think well because you went into the actual like they did the Pepsi challenge with that thing. They sure know? did. So like, you know, the proof is in the thing. Now I, I do go back to like our ears 
we all hear different. The way you hear a Jimmy Page solo is different than the way I hear mm. it. We're probably pretty close because otherwise sloppy. we wouldn't. It's gonna be sloppy for both of us. It's but. gonna be sloppy, but uh, but the tone. I mean, like yeah. we're gonna have. We wouldn't have a podcast if we didn't hear things in a similar. That's a good fashion. point, right? Um, but there are definitely people out there who's who probably heard that tone from "Song Remains the Same" and been like, "Ugh, that is not." Mm-hmm. And it's like, "Wow, really?" Like, because they maybe had a, for some reason, their hearing loss in like the eight hundred hertz region and sure. that whatever for whatever reason makes it sound shitty to them. Yeah, yeah. But that's why I'm glad that, like you said, this Pepsi challenge where they had a room full of 150 experts. The proof is there, and there is that. I to me is statistical significance to show that there is at least something to this. Yeah, that I you know I of course I haven't experienced it personally, so I can't say that I have, but uh, it makes me excited and, and it gives me hope for the future that there, it's not just like, because I, you know, we love the old stuff around here. We love the vintage stuff. We love the old techniques, but I'm always trying to push the stuff into the future gear. And so this feels to me like that marriage where it's, they, they're using this, these old world techniques, but then applying new understandings of science so that we can make new instruments that sound quote unquote as good as the old instruments um and kind of going along with that and i think we forgot to shout him out last week and i can't remember his name but mm. he's on instagram and you sent him to me and he basically, uh, players great vintage players great vintage shout out dude uh this guy is doing magical work with yes. uh, refinishes and relics i was and, looking at some today oh keep it up man like he's, uh, uh, he's uh, i believe somewhere in the british countryside i'd love to try to get him on one day man that'd be oh, yuri i believe if least, i think if i remember let's try to tag name. him and let him know he's doing a great job but oh, um yeah yeah i mean that's another thing so so that guy's process i've watched a few of those short videos mm-hmm. he's posted he actually explains what he's doing oh he's he does like, okay he's like oh i'll add a bit of green to the sunburst just to like make it look not as yellow you know what i mean so yeah. it's just um sharing that knowledge sharing that information and i think you know there's 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 parts to keeping it to yourself but there's also parts to maybe like showing people who want to try it themselves mm-hmm. to you know to make it turn well out that's right. yeah that those luthiers throughout the years that was kind of a thing that they would it, they would it, that was their their expertise and they would protect it because someone else could swoop in it and steal from them but now i think because of the internet it's almost that feels silly to me like just share what you have and and everyone has so many options of doing things only people truly passionate about refinishing guitars are going to refinish them so it's not like there's not that much competition that you have to worry about yeah and i mean if you're going to try it you're going to try it but with a can of you know spray paint or something rattle can yeah rattle can action but um but yeah i love that um geez i mean i think that that's uh that's it. I had one more thought, but I can't really remember what it is. So we'll, we'll throw it in the symphony next week. Yeah, that? Oh, I should though. add that. Uh, f- speaking of the symphony, even though we haven't thrown a correction there in a, in a long time, I'm quite sure that when I listened back to the episode, I like a couple times I said millimeters when I meant nanometers, and like mm. I kind of I, re- oh, I referred to busted. one one studio or one uh, factory being in China that was somewhere else. But that for the most part. Uh, Pretty dumb. I'd say like bro science, we got at least 95% right on yeah, that Yeah, I was going to say we're 5% dum-dums. <laughs> <laughs> 5% dum-dums, I think it's a little bit more than that. That's ge- that's the generous, generous. Uh, side, but I'll take 5% dum-dums every yeah, day. Yeah, man. So I think that's about it, man. I'd say if, uh, stuff. If, you've, uh, if you've made it this far, why don't you go, go make some music?